Welcome to the September 19th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, and the sermon is entitled, The Lord's Prayer, Part 2, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. It's good to see you here today and have you here today. We are going to open God's Word. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we are getting on the home stretch now as we come to these words and, and come to the final parts and chapters of the Gospel of John. If you are with us brand new today or returning after a while, we are taking a verse-by-verse, step-by-step journey through the Gospel of John. My prayer is that you have learned as I have learned. I've read this Gospel for 55 or more years, and it has spoken to me in a great way in this last year of study. And I pray that is true for you as well. Uh, As we study, we're going to close chapter 17 today. All of this chapter is a prayer of Jesus, except for the first couple of lines, which gives it an introduction. All of this uh, chapter of the Bible, if you have a red-letter edition, is in red because these are words of Jesus the Christ This has been called the high priestly prayer. In a very accurate way, this truly is the Lord's prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed on this earth, the greatest prayer that has ever been prayed on earth. We're studying it right now. Now, before we read the sacred text today, let me pause for just a moment to get you into the setting. For those of us who are joining us, let me tell you where we are. Where is Jesus and who is he with? when he prays this prayer. It's important you know that. It was a Thursday evening, getting late into the dark of night. And although the disciples do not know it, this is the eve of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next morning at approximately 9 o'clock, he has an appointment with the cross on which he will die that we might be forgiven of our sin. He takes The sin of the world, yours and mine, and the world's sin from the past to the future on his own shoulders, on his own body, and literally lays down his life that we might be forgiven. On this Thursday evening, he had met with his disciples in a private setting. Another gospel writer calls it an upper room. He shares the Passover meal on this Thursday night. It is the day of the Passover for the nation of Israel. From that Passover meal, he draws the Lord's Supper. Also in this evening, in this room, he washes his disciples' feet. The Lord of the universe on his holy knees, washing the dirt off of his filthy feet of his disciples. To practice and show them humility. And the humility that they are to have when they go into the world to represent him. They have seen the ultimate humility of God to wash their feet and tomorrow to die for their sin. And he says, you're to practice that same humility as you serve others in your ministry and in your life and in your calling. And then also in this upper room, he dismisses Judas Iscariot as his betrayer that night. And as the meeting comes to an end, John chapter 14, verse 31, the very end of chapter 14, Jesus says, Arise, let us go hence. And so they leave that private setting of the room and they strike out on a journey that night late in the evening. And they're headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a walking journey as they go down the pathways from that private setting of a room toward the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will spend an evening in prayer and where he will be trayed the evening before the cross. 
Jesus, on that journey, taught his 11 disciples. Judas Iscariot is now gone. So he's teaching his 11 disciples with every step. He's teaching them about passing them the baton of ministry and how they are to be ministers in this world and have to, how they have to be connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, that they are the productive branches in him. Now, I want you to look at chapter 18, verse 1. The walk goes from chapter 15 through the end of chapter 17. Look at the first verse of chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook of Cedron, where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. So chapter 18 then begins with Jesus and the disciples going through the gate and into the garden of Gethsemane, but just before they go in. Jesus stops his group and says, gentlemen, let's pray. And so all of chapter 17 encompasses and encapsulates this prayer that Jesus has with his disciples immediately before they enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. This great prayer of Jesus, the greatest prayer that's ever been prayed on earth, falls into three categories. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus prays to the Father about himself. It's an unselfish prayer as Jesus says, Lord God, my Father, I simply want to glorify you. And in fact, in those five verses, you will find a form of the word glory five times in five verses. Jesus wants to glorify the Father through his own life and through the sacrifice that is going to come the next morning. The second section of the prayer is for his 11 disciples as they stand there with him. Jesus mainly prays for his 11 men to live and to walk and to minister in this old lost world and not live of the sin of the world. They are to stand above and they are to be unstained by sin. They're to walk in the world but not be stained by the sin of the world so they can give the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ to the world. So in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for those 11 disciples as they gather around him that night. He prays for them to remain strong and unified and unyielding and uncompromising in the way that they deliver the truth of Jesus Christ to the world in their own ministry. So Jesus, in this moment, is passing the baton of ministry to his 11, praying for them to be strong, and unified as they walk into the world to represent him. So last week we studied those two sections of the prayer, Jesus praying for himself, Jesus praying for his 11 disciples. Now today we're going to enter into the third section of the prayer. It's verses 20 through 26. Who is Jesus praying for in this third section? Us. He's praying for his future church. He's praying for his future disciples. I have a little note that's written on the very bottom of this page. This Bible's about 20 years old, and I wrote it years ago because it's almost faded out. It is in red, but it says, This was a prayer for me 2,000 years before I was born. So the Lord spoke to me through this prayer many years ago as I wrote that little note in my Bible. My prayer today is that it will be conveyed to you, that this is a prayer prayed 2,000 years ago for you and for me that we might stand strong in this world to be ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is your prayer. This is my prayer, believer. So let's read it together. And let's read it. Let's read it as a prayer. So you can refer to your scripture, but bow your head. 
as Jesus prays for us. Verse 20, chapter 17. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovedst me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. May God add his blessing. May God add his amen to the conclusion of this greatest prayer that has ever been prayed on earth. I want you to notice in verse 20, the first verse of this prayer, this first third section of the prayer, is for the future of the church. Jesus says, I pray for those which shall believe on me through their word. He's praying for the church as long as it will exist on the earth. At this point, as Jesus breathes this prayer to God the Father, the church has yet to be established. The church has yet to be born. And yet Jesus is praying this night for the future of the believers who will join together as his church. This church does not belong to us, it belongs to him. This church was not created by us, it was created by him. Amen? This is his bride. This is his body. And he's praying for us. He's praying for all the future of the church as long as it will stand. And today is our day, and this is our opportunity, and this is our prayer that we're Joining in today, John 17, verse 21, gives Jesus greatest desire for his church. Look at verse 21. Underline this verse. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So the point and the burden of this prayer that Jesus is praying to God the Father is that his gathering of believers on earth will have unity, that we will have oneness, that we will love one another, that we will want to work together, that we will want to walk together in ministry, and that we will be one. And if anything enters the church that might divide us, that we will get rid of that division among us that we will work it out, that we will proceed forward, that we will always be unified, that we will always be one because God can't use a fighting church. God can't use a divided church. So his prayer is that we will have unity and we will have oneness and we will have love for one another. How important that is. Jesus, 
never saved anybody and turned them loose to face the world alone. The purpose of the church is that every believer is to have a family. Every believer is to have a group of people who love us and take care of us and walk with us and stand with us in our own personal ministry. The Bible never gives an account of a Christian who is a lone ranger in life or ministry. The Bible never gives us an account of a believer who has any calling of some solitary ministry that is apart from the church. You will not find that in the Bible. The Bible has no biblical account of any true believer who says, I am called to ministry outside of the fellowship of believers. I have no need and I have no connection with the church because I have a ministry that is outside of the church. There's no such account in the Bible. You won't find it. All of our lives as believers are to be lived within the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The church is absolutely essential to the life of the believer. Jesus expresses it this way. As Jesus and his Father and his Father's will are unified as one, there is no conflict between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father and God the Son are in absolute perfect unity. There's no conflict there. In the same way, we are, believers are to strive for the very same unity and the very same compassion and love and oneness among ourselves. As Jesus is one with his Father, we're to be one with him and with one another. That's the essence of the church, that we are together in ministry. And the love and the call and the spirit of Jesus Christ is our binding agent. We're all different. We walk different paths of life, but he binds us together through his love and his spirit, which lives in us. And that is our common denominator. That is our common bond that we have with one another, that we are the church together. So with that, for me, there are four basic principles of unity that bring us together and which keep us together under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take a note, start now. Four principles of unity, I believe, that keep us and bind us together. Number one, we are unified that this word from Genesis through Revelation is the inerrant, unstained, perfect word of God. Let me hear a louder amen. amen. This is the word. And every ministry and every outreach and every invitation of the word marches around this word. It is perfect. It is God-breathed. And it is absolutely from him and him alone. That's the first unifying principle. Here's the second unifying principle. We not only agree that this is the word. We not only agree that this is the truth but we're further unified in that we're going to live it. A lot of people say, yeah, this is the Bible, but they go far, far away from living it. The second unity of the church is that we make an agreement that we're going to live this word, that we're going to abide by the truth of this word. Sadly, in the world today, there are many people who acknowledge, yes, this is the Bible, this is God's word, but that same group wants to delete the parts of it they don't like. Or the world wants to change or expand some of it to humanly improve it. Absolutely outside of the will of God. 
There are so many in the world who want to add what the new and the modern rules of marriage are. Let's not limit love to just a man and a woman. That's not what the Bible says. We are to honor a man and a woman in marriage. And that's the extent of his word. A lot in the world say, sure, Psalm 139 says that God knits a baby together in the mother's womb, but now let's approve and let's improve the word of God by saying, even though God knits together that baby in the mother's womb, we people can extract that baby out of the womb because that baby is inconvenient. Man wants to improve the word and you can't improve it. You can't add your human slant to it. The world says, yes, this is God's law, but it's no longer applied to the guidance of our law. We are sufficient enough to make up our own laws, and we are, we are sufficient enough that we, and, and, are, and are intelligent enough that we can educate our own children. We don't need God in our law. We don't need God in our classrooms. No church, we agree and we're unified that in every area of our life, this word reigns supreme. And we are going to not only observe it as God's law, we're going to live it together as the church as God's law. It is the ultimate authority. It establishes moral absolutes. The world says there's no such thing as a moral absolute. Oh, yes, there is right here. We don't just believe it, we live it. That's the second principle we abide by in the unity of the church. Here's number three. The third principle of our unity is that the church, the ecclesia, which is the Greek word, the gathering of the saved, the church is a necessity for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a necessity for the believer. The church is not man's thought. It is not man's creation. Rather, Jesus created the church so that every believer, regardless of being Jew or Gentile, regardless of the shade of your skin, regardless of being rich or poor, that every believer will equally be loved in the church family. And that every believer will have that family on which to depend in your life. Brothers and sisters who love you, who walk with you, who want to be with you, Every believer is an equal. Every believer is a valuable person in the family of the church. There's no hierarchy of important people and lesser important. All of us are important people in the ministry of the church. Actually, the church is the earthly picture of what heaven will be. Saved people living in connection and communion and love together. You know, I believe in the principles that God lays down. I have one bride, and she has one bridegroom. And I believe that every believer should be a part of one family of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there, there are folks that you can speak to, and they'll say, yeah, I went to church last week, and I'm going to go to a different one next week, and I'll probably go to a different one the next week, and I'll probably go to a different one the next week. But they've never committed to a church. They're just visiting churches. 
That's like me saying, Gwen, I think I'm going to visit some other wives. I don't think that will float very well, by the way. But the Lord created the church that we might have a home body, a home base, that we might have a people who love us. It's not this disconnected visit here, visit there, visit another, but rather it's a place to make a commitment. And just as you make a commitment in marriage, you realize without any naivete that you're going to have great days, but there are going to be some challenging days to come. In the same way in the church, we're a family. We're going to have great days and days to celebrate. We're going to have days we're going to have to work through some things. But we've made a commitment to the church body that we're going to be there through the thick and the thin and the good and the bad. That's the nature. That's the unity. That's the oneness. That's the love of the church. That we make a commitment and we stay there. And we're going to be there through the good and through the challenge. We'll be there. Home base. Every Christian, every believer needs a home base. A place to call their spiritual home. Praise God. You call Clifford Baptist Church your spiritual home. We need that place in our life. Actually, as we think about that, we know every Christian should have a security in their life. And part of the security of your life is having a place to call your own and a people whom you call your brothers and your sisters. What a security that is. What a security that is for me to have you as my brothers and my sisters. I'm so thankful for that. Here's the fourth and the final principle of our unity in the church. Every believer, every born-again child of God has some talent, some ministry to contribute to the church. Every believer within the church family is to be a working member, a working minister within that body of the living Lord. We are the outreach arm of the Lord Jesus Christ, and every one of us has some function in that outreach for the Lord into this church body and into the world. He uses every one of us in some way through our talent that he's given to us that we are to extend his gospel into the world. We're necessary members of a ministry team. Yes, it is our family. Yes, it is our home. Yes, we've invested our our lives here, but we also invest our talents and our ministry here so that every one of us has something to do, some ministry to perform in the body of of the church. Look at verse 23, John 17, 23. Jesus says, I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. When we live in harmony and ministry as a healthy church together, the world will see Jesus here. The world will know Jesus is our head. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is our King, and He is the one whom we follow. And the world will know that Jesus came to save them. When they look inside the ministry of a healthy church, we embody the Savior to the world. We're the Bible The lost world is reading. When they don't crack open these pages, they're seeing the Bible lived out in you and me, inside the church and outside as we live in this world, wherever the Lord might take us. That's the church that's on course with God when all of us are living the Word. You know, a broken, fighting, disagreeing church cannot cannot convey a loving Savior very well, can it? 
We live and we love in harmony together. And I love verse 24. Look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovedst me before the foundation of the world. Underline that verse. I have it underlined and circled. When we, the church, do our part, when we carry out our ministry to honor and glorify God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, when our ministry together is performed, and one of these days for every one of us, no matter your age in here, one of these days ministry is going to be completed for every one of us on this earthly side. And when we fought the good fight, and when we finished our course, Jesus says, praise God, we go home to be with Him. That's what verse 24 says. We go home to be with Him. And we'll see His glory. And we'll be able to physically behold the love between God the Father and God the Son. And we'll understand how He kept us together as the church because we loved Him and we love one another. And Jesus says we go to be with Him. What a day that's going to be when we stand together. When the church each family of the church stands together and we can say we serve the Lord together. I know this is a, a bit extra biblical, but I truly believe that we're going to meet all of the saints of glory. We're going to meet millions of saints over the years before us. And if we don't live to the rapture of Jesus Christ, those who live after us. But I believe that there's going to be a special connection for those who walk together in ministry. There are so many places in the Bible where we can see heaven is a place of memory. You won't forget your life. You won't forget those people who are important to you. Take, for example, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man didn't forget anything of his earthly life when he was in hell. I don't believe we'll forget anything of our earthly life when we're in heaven. And I believe we will remember that we walk together and work together and the Lord kept us together in the ministry of the church. So I believe that every believer needs to know the joy of service and the joy of family and the joy of being a part of the body of Christ and a family of believers as the body and as the bride of Christ. And I pray I can do my part to encourage and support and to bring joy to this family because the Bible shows us such positive blessings when we have the unity and the oneness and the love of Jesus Christ among us. But before I stop today, before I conclude the sermon, I want to say that the Bible also addresses the very negative side of disharmony and disunity. Proverbs chapter 6 if you remember, there is a list of seven things that God hates. Seven things which are an abomination to our holy God. And here they are. You can count them off if you like. Pride, lying, murdering, a heart that plans evil, feet that run to do evil, a false witness or a liar. And number seven, the person who sows discord among the brethren. A person who brings trouble 
in the midst of the people of God, of fellow believers. God Almighty gives a warning to any person that brings disharmony, disunity, disruption, and criticism and discord to the true church. He has a word here of how he hates discord and criticism in the midst of the body of Christ. That person is hurting not just the people of the church, but hurting the very bride of Christ. The body of believers for whom Jesus gave his life is hurt. And someone who brings disharmony and discord and criticism to the church is absolutely not honoring God the Father. So believers, listen, the church is composed of human beings. That being said, I think you know there's no such thing as a perfect earthly church because it's composed of human beings. And because of that, we're going to make our mistakes and we're going to have our shortcomings. And there are going to come things among us and we're going to have to forgive one another. We're going to have to work that out as part of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of your own personal families. Anybody who's had a family who's never had a downtime or an argument, you don't have to raise your hand, but please talk to me afterward. I've got I to meet you. <laughs> churches are a family, and churches have our struggles too because we're composed of human beings. And though we will not be perfect, my prayer is that we will work out the imperfections and we'll forgive where forgiveness is needed, and we will move forward with love in ministry to take Jesus to the world. That we will be a healthy church that works it out or does what needs to be done in order to take the gospel as the people who love Jesus and love one another into the world. Jesus wants to see that harmony and that unity in his body. He wants us to work it out and move forward. Now, as your very human pastor, I know I've not led you perfectly in every single instance. I know that. But I want you to know I love this body of Christ. I love you through and through. I love you with all of my heart. Gwen does as well. We will always be your cheerleaders. We will always lift you up in prayer. And I want you to know we will always be, no matter what time might bring, we will always be contributing members to Clifford Baptist Church. I have one bride, and I have one church, and I don't desire another church. Nor do I desire another bride. Better, better, better toss that in quickly. <laughs> this is my church. And I love you. In the spite of imperfections, I love you. And when we, thank you. And when we love and when we serve and when we work and when we forgive and minister together, Jesus says again in, in uh, verse 23, the world will come to know him as Savior because we're working together, loving together. And in humility, taking Jesus Christ to the world, the Savior. I pray today that we will rededicate our lives to loving His church. If you're part of this body, to love this church. That we will work together in unity to take Jesus to the world. I rededicate my life today to Jesus Christ, my Savior, to love you and to love His church right here in this little community. I pray you'll do the same. And today, if you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior in a relationship of love, 
we the church, the body of Christ, say together and pray together right now to let you know Jesus loves you. If you're watching on stream today, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to live in your life and in your heart. He wants to forgive you of sin. He wants to give you life everlasting. He wants to fulfill that verse that we just read. He wants to meet you in heaven. He wants you to see the love between God the Father and God the Son extended to us simply because He loves us as a God of grace to forgive us and to have us as His own. Today, if you've never given your heart to Him, I want you to know the church is composed of all kinds of people forgiven, saved by the love of Jesus Christ. But we're an open family. And if you've never come to Jesus as your Savior, there's room here for you. In the body of Christ, there's always room for you. I'm thankful for that. Will you come today and just say, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I give you my life. Here's my heart. I believe what you did for me on the cross, and I believe what you did when you rose from the grave. Praise God if you'd come to him today. If you're not here in the church house, you can make that decision wherever you are, living room or car or your kitchen. You can make that decision for Jesus this very moment. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these moments. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your church. Yes, Lord, we are, compu- uh, we are comprised of human beings. And uh, we know, Father, that we need to love together and forgive together and work together. But you want to see us as one with that spirit of unity. The unity between God the Father and God the Son he wants to see in his church. I pray that we believers will make that commitment today, Lord, that we will work in your church, that we'll be a part of the family, and that we'll take care of one another through the grace of Jesus. And most importantly, that we as one will take the love of Christ into this world. Bless us in that we pray. Bless that one who needs you as Savior, that he or she make that decision for you this very moment in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.